Thanks for joining us today on Geezers of Gear. Today's podcast is brought to you by ACT Lighting. ACT is North America's leading distributor and manufacturer of entertainment technology products with award-winning brands, including MA Lighting, Ayrton, Chainmaster, Luxie Bell, AC Power, Robert Juliet, Zach Track, and MDG, as well as cable and interconnect solutions from Rapco Horizon, Proco, and Roadhog for virtually any audio, video, data, or power distribution need. ACT employs amazing team members who are each dedicated to providing exemplary service and support while ensuring the show goes on by maintaining inventory and 24-7, 365 technical expertise in nine locations throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Visit actlighting.com for more information. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode number 113 on Geezers of Gear. And so, yeah, that's a lot of episodes. We've been doing this for now about a year and a half, I guess, 18 months, and um, I'm still liking it. I love doing this. I love the people that we have on. I had a great talk a couple days ago with um, Cosmo Wilson talked to him about his visit with uh, Joe Perry and with Brian Johnson, and I've since seen uh, pictures of him and Joe Perry on uh, both on Joe Perry's Facebook page, but also on Cosmo's Facebook page. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the guy has employers who are very friendly with him and invite him over to the house and stuff because Cosmo's just that kind of guy. He's just a really nice guy. And so, yeah, that's really cool. Um, it's also very appropriate that today's sponsor is Act Lighting because I wanted to talk about Act and Ayrton a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I've been waiting since uh, uh, for my son's racing season, Jeremy's racing season to start. He's racing Formula Four, as most of you know, because I talk about it way too much. And um, he was supposed to start at the beginning of April. And the season, of course, was postponed due to coronavirus. And so now, finally, his season is starting next week. The 25th or 6th, I think, is our first day on track. 25th at Mid-Ohio Motorsports Park, I believe it's called, in Ohio. And um, so, you know, one of the reasons we're able to do this is due to sponsorships. And, of course, my own companies are the primary sponsors for Jeremy's racing career and for his car and everything else. And uh, so you'll see Gear Source and, and LED Source both prominently displayed on the car. But the big name sponsor this year is actually Ayrton Digital, Ayrton Lighting. And one of the reasons behind that is because Ayrton is so deeply rooted in motorsports. The the founder was a huge Formula One fan and was a huge um, Ayrton Senna fan, one of the 
arguably the best driver ever to drive a racing car. So <clears throat> we got into uh, some talks and discussions about what would it look like if, if we were to put an Ayrton logo on Jeremy's race car. And uh, that went further down the road. And lo and behold, between Ayrton Lighting and Act Lighting, they came on board as a major sponsor for Jeremy's race car this year and for his career and for the season. And so I am very grateful for that. Jeremy's incredibly grateful for that, considering he hasn't even met the the principals in the company. And we were hoping to have people out to the first race, but um, that just didn't work out because we're not allowed to have spectators at this race. And so they'll be sharing it on their Facebook and stuff. Hopefully they'll be watching the race online. But unfortunately, we won't be able to have anyone from ACT or Ayrton at this first race. But I did want to mention that, um, you know, we are going to be on track next week with an Ayrton branded car. I'll be sharing pictures all over Facebook and Instagram and whatever else, of course. And um, the car is actually being completed today and then tomorrow travels down to Palm Beach and we will be at Palm Beach International tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, for an evening, what they call a shakedown. Um, so it's not really practice. It's not really testing any special tire combinations or engine combinations or anything. It really is just taking a brand new engine and a brand new uh, you know, rebuild on the car and just shaking it down, making sure everything's good, making sure that uh, we don't have any failing components or anything before it goes to Ohio for the race next week. So um, he will have it on track for the afternoon and evening tomorrow, and then it gets packed up again and goes to Ohio for the race next week. And as I said, we'll travel there Wednesday morning. Uh, I believe there's a track walk and then maybe even a practice uh, Wednesday evening and then Thursday Friday, Saturday, Sunday is when the series really gets underway. So there you go. I've bored you to death. And other than uh, Sooner or Ruthier, I don't know that anybody's very interested in listening to all of this. But uh, for Sooner's benefit, there you go. I've just given you the lowdown on what's happening with racing. But more so, just to really thank Ayrton and Act. I mean, you know, they, like most people or most companies, are going through a heck of a lot of bad stuff with this coronavirus thing. Their sales are off. Um, you know, their budgets have been cut and everything else. So we do appreciate what they've done for us uh, on the racing thing and on the sponsorship. So there you have it. With that, I would like to take a moment to introduce today's guest on Geezers of Gear is a gentleman I've known for a long time. He worked at LD Systems, I think, for probably 15, 14 years, 16 years, something like that, um, and then went on to become a freelancer and have his own companies as well and has done very well. He's worked with some top talent out there, I think, including Metallica and uh, Paul McCartney and so many others, but um, really, really nice guy, another Texas boy, here you go with uh, Troy Ackerman. How's it going? My name is Troy Ackerman. <laughs> That's so official, <laughs> Troy. How are you? So official. Oh, I'm doing great. How's it going over there? Not too shabby. I may have some noise while we're recording this because I'm sitting at my window watching the guys with those driving lawnmower things. And I think they may oh, be yeah. done, so they might be out of here and leave us alone. But just in case no you hear like, something that sounds like a jet landing in my uh, in my house, it's these 
big dumb lawnmowers. So sure, no worries. Well, I have a dog in the area as well. So all good, know. all good, no problem at all. So you are in uh, Colorado right now, I think, at your uh, ch- checking your daughter in. I am. I'm moving my daughter into her new house, her first house. So she's all excited about that. And of course, it's been about five days of uh, nonstop work for me. But yeah, it's all good. So all why good. why Colorado though? Like is is that where her mate is um, from, she, or is she, going uh, she to went school? to school? Okay. She went to school in Durango, uh, which is a great little city, like a resort ski town. Mm-hmm. And uh, she pretty much snowboarded most of the time, but her grades were really good. So I said, hey, that's fantastic. And then she moved to the big city of Denver to get a job. took a little while, but then she finally uh, got her a good job. And now um, she was able to buy a house, and we moved her in. So things are positive. It's always good when one of your kids gets off of your payroll. That's very cool. Yeah, and so she's not in the industry? No, she's not in the industry at all. She actually works for ADP, the payroll oh, company, cool. which most a lot of people use ADP, yeah. the big companies. Yeah, yeah, they're huge. Yeah. Them and paychecks. Yep, yep they are. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's cool. I I mean, I know I've talked to a lot of guys, sort of our age, who have kids who are in the business, and some of them have two or three kids in the business, and. Uh, and I don't remember who I had recently. I think it was David Davidian, um, uh-huh. who you know has his his daughter, as I recall, living there with him. And you know everybody's unemployed in the house. It might even be her daughter yeah. and her son, as right, I remember. Right. Sure, <clears throat> but yeah, everybody's unemployed now because our industry, of course, is uh, is a I little sleepy shut, at the moment. Shut down. Shut yeah. down. Almost nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been curious leading up to this, uh, to this recording because I know that you have a couple of different businesses. Well, a few really, because, you know, you're a designer and, and lighting director that most people know you for, but you also have an architectural lighting company that I know I've done business with in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, can I assume that that's still at least partially paying the bills while the other business is shut down and you're not able to tour or do any of those shows? It is. Um, but, uh, the last three months I've actually, unfortunately my, my mom passed away oh, um, I'm sorry unexpectedly. To hear that. Sorry about and that. And so, yeah, so that was a couple, two or three months of dealing with a bunch of that, all that stuff on my own. Oh, no. Um, and then we have a little, uh, lighting rental business company, which is kind of a little boutique company there in Houston or north of Houston in spring. Right. And uh, we do a lot of little corporate shows. Uh, we do a lot of church rentals. Matter of fact, we're lucky enough right now to have uh, a very large church rental out for six weeks wow. during during this time of, uh, you know, nothing going on. So, and that's, we also have another show. We have another show going on right now at the same time for a little dance studio recital, which has, believe it or not, some moving lights and a little Grand May console. And they cannot do their show at a normal, like a high school, I think, is where they usually do it. So we did a small load-in up at their studio, up the stairs with all the gear. And uh, that's actually going on this week. So Interesting. That's so cool. we do have a few things moving. and um, It sounds and like you have more work than PRG. Well, and then on top of that, I I have a couple shows that are pending uh, for July. One of them is actually a 
23 day job, which wow. I can't really talk a whole lot about because I did an NDA on that. Yeah. And then the other one is a two day job in LA for uh, Yoshiki, which is um, the ex Japan drummer guy that me and Peter Morris work for. Yeah. So um, we're kind of waiting to see how that's going to pan out, but it sounds like that one is a for sure thing, and I'm just kind of waiting on the other big job to figure out which which one I can go and do. So your your rental company is is Visual Integration Concepts, right? That is correct. Yep, and um, it was kind of a weird story how that started. About oh, I don't know. I guess it was five years ago or so. I was doing a design job at the Gaylord Resort Hotel in National Harbor, Washington, D.C. Okay. And I was brought in by a company out of Dallas that actually provided a bunch of the decor that they sold the hotel. And so I designed the lighting, and it was a, a very, very big show for inside of a hotel lobby. I mean, there were synchro lights. There were all kinds of strobe lights and very lights and, you know, you name it. Back in those days, I was, you know, it was a pretty big system. Right. But... But PSAV was providing some of the gear as well, and my client from PSAV, uh, we talked about it, and he was like, hey, you know, maybe you should just buy some of this gear because I have to sub-rent it out. It's a really long rental, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to start a lighting company. I've worked for lighting companies. I've seen how that goes. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want the headaches. But then I think about all the successful people out there that, you know, have totally done it right and have made a really good living at it. And I thought, well, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. Yeah. So basically the first thing I bought, not to bore every everyone, was uh, some Color Blast 12 TRXs. Right. And I said, well, if I don't use them anything else, I'll put them in my backyard someday. I'll waterproof them, and I'll put them in the trees, and, you know, I'll make my backyard pretty. Right. And uh, so since then, I've actually rented them, and, of course, they're in part of our rental inventory still. Yeah. But uh, but we started kind of out of default. It almost started as a hobby. Yeah. Um, but over the years, it's uh, grown quite well. We're doing pretty well, and we were on a really big roll right before all this coronavirus hit yeah yeah like the um, whole industry was oh yeah i couldn't believe it how good everything was going <laughs> right. and all of a sudden it was just nothing yeah maybe so, maybe too good right <laughs> yeah maybe too good maybe yeah. you know i don't know maybe it needed a little bit of uh decompression there or something but right. not not this much yeah <laughs> so i mean i you've got a couple shows going on which i think is better than than most you know a lot of even large rental companies i've talked to are just kind of like yeah, you know, we finally just locked the door and, you know, we're just going yeah, to wait and go back I know. in someday. I, I hear that all the time and it's so sad because a lot of those people are my friends because, of, of course, I know so many people out there and I call around and I talk to those people and there's, there's some sad stories out there. Yeah, it's there really are. Yeah. Very unfortunate. Well, I mean, even at the very top, you know, I, there's, there's sad yeah. stories at PRG and I know people have a hard time feeling sorry for you know, solo tech or PRG or four wall or any of these companies, but there's still a lot of human beings involved in those companies, even though oh, the, there are? the yeah. financing is once removed, you know, because it comes from big conglomerates or whatever. But, um, but there's still a lot of stories and a lot of people who are, you know, kind of struggling and, and not doing really well right now because of that, you know, like I think PRG, 
Uh, I think they're down from 3,200 full-time staff to like 500 now or 450 or something. Yeah, so, I know. It's very sad. One, one of my dear friends, Curry Grant, who I've known literally since I was born. Yeah. Um, you know, he's out there in the LA office and I think about him all the time out there in that big place. Yeah. And, you know, I know they have a big nut to, to meet every month. And so, boy, it's gotta be hard. We're, we're super fortunate with our little rental company. Cause we actually have a free warehouse. We have a free, you know, forklift. We have free power. We have free internet, everything. Cause one of my business partners owns the warehouse and, has a company kind of attached to it, uh, one of his other businesses. So right. we're very lucky when it comes time when there's no income, uh, we don't have big bills. Yeah. Well, you don't have any bills really pretty much by any the bill. sounds of things. Yeah. yeah, pretty much any And bills. you're probably so real small staff, I'm guessing, if any. And, uh, yeah, uh, no full-timers. Yeah. Uh, we use a lot of our freelance uh, buddies there in Houston. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, so that's so you were so you were pretty well positioned when this thing hit. I mean, not that not that it's been good for anybody, but you know, it sounds like you were definitely better uh, suited, you know, to to withstand the blow from this. Yeah, we were. We yeah. definitely were in a pretty good position, and you know, we didn't really plan on it that this was going to happen. But no. when it did happen, we were very grateful that we were in the position we were. So right. And, so, and the crazy part is we just ordered a whole bunch more gear, like literally two weeks before we were shut down. You know, we bought a pretty good amount of gear for some shows coming up, which of course were all canceled. Yeah. So we have been, you know, we've been working in the shop, uh, doing, you know, barcoding and getting all of our stuff in tip top shape while we yeah, can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that it, I mean, if, if you didn't have to lose all your income to go through this time where you have all this time to work on your shop and work on your gear and fix up your house yeah. and do all those things you wish you had yeah. time to do, right? Yeah. That's I mean, right. it'd be great That's if you didn't have to give up all your revenue to do that, but... Oh, um, it would be so great. Be so great. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people who are doing a lot of really productive things, even designers, you know, like I, I had uh, Cosmo on for the second time this weekend. And we just talked about some of the stuff he's been doing. I mean, unfortunately, he had to get surgery and, um, oh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's done a ton of stuff around the house and he's been working on putting a book together and grabbing all different components of stories and digging up old stuff. And so, you know, he's been keeping really busy and really productive. And, and uh, but I know a lot of people who aren't. I know a lot of people who have, you know, started drinking a little too much and yeah, doing, no good. doing a little more destructive stuff and, you know, yeah, no good. And they're getting depressed and, you know, like I, I personally, I'm checking in with so many people every day just to say, Hey, how are you? You know, I yeah, yeah, in a while. Keep, yeah, keep everyone cheered up a little bit. That's, yeah, yeah. And I try to. and call, I, I call a lot of people too during these times. Um, unfortunately though, uh, it's crazy because some of the people that I haven't talked to in you know, quite some time and now I have the time to call them. Yeah. When, when I call them, I've had a couple of people, like their first response, like, hey, it's so great to hear from you, but, you know, I don't have any work for you. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 oh, I'm not boy. calling to talk. To, that's not, it has yeah. no reason why I'm calling you. Well, and it kind of, you know, it kind of crushed me like, 
oh man, people think I'm just calling looking for work. And it's like, no, no, I'm calling to say hello and check on my buddies. But imagine what their phones are like. You know what I mean? Like between people looking for work and people looking to try and sell you some moving lights or whatever, right? Oh, I know. It's it's unreal. I mean, people's phones are ringing off the hook. And I think most salespeople that I know have kind of given up on that a little bit because they're like, yeah, you know, people know how to reach me. I'm not going to keep hammering them to try and hit my non-existent targets so yeah i think that's best anyway right now yeah. you know just, just let it ride its course it's it's gonna come back right so what about on the architectural side has that been like have you had projects stop or shut down or anything or um that- well no we actually i haven't had any well, actually working right now in the last uh, few months right. we did a, a little church install job through the rental company this past week and my good friend Chris Stuba and Kirk Calavoda, they went over and took care of that job because it's kind of one of their clients anyway. But right. it happened through our rental company. And it was, um, you know, I don't know, it's somewhat architectural. It wasn't really stage lighting. It was right. more decor room lighting stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and my plan was ultimately I was going to kick up the architectural stuff more and go out there and work on it harder. But I've been so darn busy on everything else in my life. And, right. you know, yeah. I have gone fishing a couple of times, I might have to say, you know, well, it's important. So it's important. Yeah. I try and mix work with fun. And my goal right now is just to stay busy as yeah. long as I'm busy doing some projects and, Yes, I am going to have to start jumping more into architectural stuff, um, assuming these jobs don't come to fruition next month. Well, and I think a lot of your big acts were, you know, of an advanced age, right? They were. Well, some of the stuff I did with Peter Morris, um, you know, all those people were getting up there in age anyway, you know, and and actually uh, one of the best tours I've ever done in my life because I haven't toured in... 20 some odd years i guess i didn't realize that yeah i really don't tour because uh when my daughter was born and she's 27 my wife is like hey you know you're a dad now no more touring and i told her i said that's fine that's not a problem you know i've I've done lots of that but then i started programming a lot of tours so i didn't tour with them but i was still gone a lot right but but i would come home so it actually worked out better and um so how how does that work though? If you're if you're programming a, a tour for Peter, for example, uh-huh. so you're the programmer. Somebody else is the director. Um, yes, there'd be for the big tours. It's usually someone you know, Peter Morris. It was Roy Bennett. You know, I worked for Roy for about eighteen years straight there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, I've worked with Bob Peterson, Bob Dickinson, Alan Branton. Yeah. Yeah, I've worked with all those guys yeah. and, and more, too. I probably haven't named, but uh, my buddy Butch Allen, of course, yep. who I love, love dearly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there's uh, a bunch of people, and it was fantastic because I was going through a spell of probably, I don't know, 18 years where I didn't have to tour, and I was programming you know, six or eight big tours a year. Sometimes um, I was doing some TV shows for those tours because they would have big, you know, Showtime or HBO specials or CBS. Right. And we would go spend a week or two getting that ready. So it filled up my year really nicely. And then, crazy enough, um, I started doing more corporate work. And then 9-11 hit. And 
all the corporate show went away and all of a sudden I started doing bands again. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, oh, how did that work? That's an interesting dynamic though, having, cause I know I've, I've talked with Peter and I've talked to all kinds of designers about sort of that, that dynamic or relationship when there's a designer and director or designer and programmer director. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Peter, of course, believes that those have to be two separate people where a lot of guys will program and uh, go out on tour and operate as well, like, you know, Howard Ungerleiter, for example. Yeah. Um, So, but with some of these shows, there's actually three people involved, right? Where where it's, again, it's the designer, the programmer, and the director. Um, That is correct. And then then actually, you you know, on a big show, you'll have – someone programming the video console sitting next to us possibly. And you'll have the lighting operator or the, you know, lighting director that runs the show. And then you'll have a show director possibly that's in charge of stuff that he thinks that he wants to see or she wants to see. And all of a sudden it can get a little bit confusing. And it's like, Hey, wait, someone take the lead. Someone make up their mind. We'll We'll be here for 10 days. But what's that handoff? Like, like, you know, you're programming a major show and you're then going to hand it over to somebody who's, you know, sort of responsible for going out and operating it while someone else is calling all the cues or whatever. So when you're handing that show over, that person really doesn't get to go in and tweak your cues or anything, right? Typically not, especially right. when you have a designer, you know, like Peter or Roy or one of the big name designers. Yeah. Because you know, you put your name on the show and you want it to be consistent. You want it to be like that when you leave it. Yeah. Cause that's the product you left them with and that's what you want to keep. Right. Of course. We, we actually had one show years ago, one of the Disney ice shows. And, um, I love those people out there, the fell people, um, you know, they're good, good people, but we had one show out there where the guys just didn't quite understand it. They didn't understand the board possibly or focuses and, the show kind of deteriorated on it. And Roy was so upset. He actually asked him, you know, Hey, can you take my name out of the program? Because, oh, wow. you know, this is like a little bit disappointing for me. And, and Roy called and told me that. And, you know, I was a little bit crushed because he's like, Oh no, no, that's not what we want. Yeah. But, but that being said, about 80% of the shows that we would do were all time coded yeah. So that was really good for us because we could tweak it and tweak it and tweak it. We did have some opposition um, on some bands. Uh, our buddies on Ramstein one time, uh, this guy Klaus, which I don't think he's there anymore, but he was saying, hey, you know, this is fucking rock and roll. You know, it's the yeah. German, you know, tone, yeah. his accent, it's rock and roll. It's not, you know, time code. It's like, hey, it's like, dude, if you want to run it manually, we don't care at all. We totally don't care. Yeah. I said, but we're going to time code it for now. Yeah. Because we want it to be like it is. Yeah. And then about uh, five days into it, um, I asked him, I said, Hey, are you still going to run this manually? He's like, it's not possible. I said, <laughs> I said yeah, pretty much. It's not possible. Yeah, it's You're a bit right. complicated. There's, there's about 10 or 12 or 14 things hitting at once. And you don't have that many fingers or toes. And, yeah. I said, it's a bit complicated, but that's the beauty of time code. Were, were and, you there when those big, huge par looking things, the moving things got created? Um, I was there when we had these huge round pods yeah. of you know, like par cans and 
the the really great story on Ramstein, which is that's one of the most favorite tours I've ever programmed in my life. Yeah. But uh, they were testing the pyro, and they had the flame dragons on the stage, and you know all the guys were on stage right, the pyro guys, and they're testing all the dragons, and of course the one on stage left, it just stayed on. They couldn't turn it off, oh, and the no. pod was pretty low to it because they were just giving a little burst, you know, like, hey, no problem, and it stayed on, and it melted about 60 lights in there, Ooh. and I was out of front of the house going, oh, no, this is not good, Yeah, but all those people had such great sense of humor. They all started, like, laughing about it. They're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. That's awesome, Yeah. and within two days, we had some new lights there, and it was, like, no big deal. No one got very upset which is good because That's you know it already amazing. happened yeah that that show just blows me away i mean it's it's kind of like you know trans-siberian orchestra kind of thing you know but so much larger where it can just keep evolving and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's such a spectacle you know oh, it is it's amazing. wild that show there is, is nuts there's always something going on that you're just looking up there going, no, no way. That can't be true. And the first time I worked for them, funny enough, we were in catering. The band came in, and they were all really clean cut, super nice people. They all talked about their kids, their families, and I didn't know it was the band. Yeah. And yeah, they left, and I asked, I asked Roy, I was like, hey, like, who were those guys? And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot you haven't worked for him. That's the band. I was like, no, no, that can't be the band. Those guys were clean cut businessmen, family men. That can't be the band. Yeah. that's. And funny. then about two or three days later, I go in and we're, they're doing a full on rehearsal with all the stuff on and the makeup and the pyro and my mouth dropped. And I was like, no, no, there's no way. But yeah, it's wild. all about business. Well, I mean, they're theater. You know? It's theater, and they're yeah. big-time businessmen, yeah. and they are some of the nicest people that I've ever worked for. Well, they've they've definitely created a monster there that is unbelievable. Like I, you know, I keep looking at videos of that show and stuff, and it's just so big yeah. and so it wild. Is, it is such a spectacle. It really yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, from the keyboard guy riding the Segway and being on the treadmill the whole show yeah. to the. I mean, it's just always something going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I love that. Yeah, it is. It so is a very good show. How, like, I, I really didn't get to know you until I think at LD Systems at, at some point. But mm -hmm. how did you actually get started in this business? Uh, my brothers actually owned the biggest lighting company in America when I was a kid. And when I say I was a kid, I was. Yeah, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 yeah. years old, I guess, somewhere down there in the in the 70s. And uh, I'd say 72 or so, they started their company. And it's funny because Curry Grant, the guy I talked about earlier from yeah, uh, yeah, PRG, no, Curry. Yeah. yeah, was, was um, one of their buddies and getting them started in the business, the lighting business. And I forget the detail if Curry got them going in it or if they got Curry. Uh, I've asked that question and I can't seem to ever remember the details, but, right. um, but they started back with bands like, um, humble pie, Alvin Lee, 10 years after, uh, Jay Giles band, uh, Gary Wright, you know, a lot of those old bands and they started doing it. Um, and you know, it was old steel park hands, old Roan trust, Vermette lifts. I mean, just archaic compared they, to what we have. They were days. called clear light, right? Yeah, clear light. Right. And, and they were uh, based out of Texas? They were based out of Houston. Okay. And 
crazy enough, and I know there might be some people out there argue this, and, and maybe it's is arguable, but my dad was an electrician for the city of Houston. So he knew a little bit about electricity. Yeah. And he came over to the shop, and he would hang out with all these crazy hippie hoodlums over there at the time. I mean, because that's back when the road dog guys, they were, you know, they looked like road dogs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that was back in the days where, you know, partying was not a problem. You know, there yeah. weren't many rules for anything back in those days. Right, right. Um, so anyways, uh, so those guys uh, started a company, and I, when I was working there, it was just all old steel park hands. I was in high school. I was going in. I was, like, sanding road cases and Back in those days, it was a little bit glamorous and glorious to tell people that, hey, I work for these this band or I work for this. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. That's great. You know, right. and they would ask a million questions. Nowadays, if I tell my neighbors that I work for a band, they're like, oh, are you a roadie? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, well, well, I mean, no, but, uh, but anyway. Yeah, so, yeah they're uh, just focusing their cameras on you. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, right. their that's nest true. cameras are all now pointed at your house. Yeah, all in my house. Like yeah. there's a roadie that lives. Yeah, down the ooh. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have uh, sex and drug parties at that. Yeah, house. they're they're bad people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so so I started doing all that kind of stuff. I actually was driving a little bitty truck, doing lighting shows on my own when I was barely old enough to have my driver's license. Right. I think I had a hardship license at fourteen or fifteen, and I was doing shows uh, for them uh, at you know little places, restaurants and stuff. Tying and Power Live, which I've never you know tied and power in my life, but yeah. I didn't know any better. They just told me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I did all that, and then they actually, uh, my brother was in the Leonard Skinner plane crash. He was a the manager there, and he actually signed for the plane, so he kind of felt somewhat responsible for you know the airplane itself because he signed for it. Right. You know, his name was on the contract. And yeah. so when all that happened, they actually sold the lighting company. Uh, my other brother, brother Rodney worked for Peter Frampton at the time and he was a tour manager. And that was back when Peter Frampton was making, you know, gazillions of dollars and they were actually investing it wisely. Um, you know, he, my brother invested his money very wisely and he began, uh, later on became the CEO of Live Nation. Before that, it was uh, Pace Concert and SFX. Right. And he was along all those deals, so he did quite good. But they sold the lighting company because they said, hey, wait, we can do make more money, money doing management and less headache. Yeah. So there I was without a job at a pretty young age going, oh, great. This is fantastic. Now what do I do? Yeah. Well, that's when LD Systems bought 40 Parkans and they hired me as the first lighting guy. 40 Parkans. Like, oh, that that was their steel, uh, humble beginning. Yeah, 40 steel Altman Parkans and it was like, "Oh, this is fantastic. Now uh, I have a job again." <laughs> <laughs> and we did an old tour, a guy, a country western guy named Don Williams. Yep. And my buddy Mark Howard was out there and me and him went out and did it together. And Mark Howard was, he was a wild man on his own. He came from clear light and the Molly hatchet days and Leonard, he was on the Leonard Skinner plane crash. And, uh, we had the time of our life out there on Don Williams. Cause here we were working for this country guy that would put you to sleep on stage 
but when we weren't watching him sing, we were having the time of our lives. <laughs> yeah. So that's wild. So you, you stayed at LD Systems for quite some time, though, like 15 I years did. or something, I, right? I think I was there about 15 or 16 years, I was. And um, I was fortunate enough to, some of my funnest days were the Willie Nelson days. Really? We, I, I worked for Willie for about eight years straight. And, of course, Bud Rock, who's still out there when yeah. Willie works. Yeah. Um, I did eight years of Willie, and then I did all the Highwayman shows, which was Waylon Willie, Johnny Cash, and Chris Christopherson. Well, that uh, fun. It was so much fun because yeah. back in those days, it was all about golf. Yeah. And have you ever uh, played Willie's course? Oh, I played Willie's course a bunch of times yeah. and I was fortunate enough to be in Willie's foursome at least half the time. Really? Because, uh, yeah, I would play with Paul English, Willie, and it'd be Bud Rock and me or Pootie and me. Sometimes we'd have a fivesome, yeah. And maybe Pootie and Bud Rock, Paul English and me and Willie. Yeah. And I remember one particular story. We were in Lake Tahoe playing Caesar's Palace and we went across the street to the beautiful golf course. I think it's called Ed- Edgewater, if I'm not mistake- right. mistaken. And we get over there and usually our golf is free everywhere we go. We don't ever have to pay any money because yeah. you know, it's Willie Nelson. Yeah. So we get there and the guy's like, oh, that's uh you know, $600 or something. And this was years ago. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I have to go back to the hotel. I mean, I, I can't pay $120 to play golf or whatever this guy's asking for. It's like, I just can't do it. Yeah. And, uh, all of a sudden Willie pulls out a wad of hundreds out of his pocket and says, here, I got it boys. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. Cause I was about <laughs> to have to taxi back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's Willie cool. Days, that's really cool. We had some fun stories. Uh, I mean, we had some really great stories. Um, yeah. I was thinking about you. I, I, uh, I actually watched that Netflix um, ZZ Top thing. Uh, uh-huh. It's funny because I have a British girlfriend and she goes, who's ZZ Top? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, no, no, it's ZZ Top, honey. Uh, and uh, so, but I watched that over the weekend. And of course, it's so Texan, right? Yeah, and uh, and it's a really great documentary too. It's I, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know about them. Um, but she she thought it was kind of funny that the only guy without a beard was named Beard. You yeah, know, right. Which I've right. always found to be a bit ironic beard. too. Anyways, I Frank digress. Sorry, that was actually my last uh, real tour I did. Uh, right when I right before I left LD Systems was ZZ Top in Europe. Wow. Yep, well, and then they, I haven't toured since then until Peter talked to me into doing Barbara Streisand. Yeah. And and he talked to me into doing this. like, no, Peter, I don't tour. I don't tour. And he goes, no, Troy, listen, it's Barbara Streisand. He goes, well, we'll be drinking champagne every night, Rich Carlton's Four Seasons. Yeah. And he, yeah, said, never, <laughs> he said never more than three shows a week, never two shows back to back. And he's telling me all this. I'm like, oh, wow, this sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. so I did it. I and I get paid? Show. Yeah, and I get paid. <laughs> yeah. So I go out there, and we're doing rehearsals, I think, at Sony Studios in L.A. And um, I'm asking him, like, hey, I don't have my flight yet, you know, for our first city, wherever we're going. And I said, do you have yours? He's like, no, no, I don't have it yet. And then all of a sudden, um, we find out that it's charter jets and I've never done a tour back in the day where we had a charter jet. 
Yeah. You know, we always had Eagle coaches. We didn't even have Prevost back when I was touring. Yeah. And so I thought, hmm, a charter jet, that sounds pretty nice. And sure enough, you know, no TSA pre-check, none of that garbage. I mean, oh, they did go wow. through a few people's bags, but, you know, we had a big airplane and plenty of seats open. And I thought, I think I can do this. And I told <laughs> Peter at that point, I said, hey, anytime Barbara Streisand has a show, you that's can just funny. call me. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, any tours you got like this one, I'd love yeah, to do I'll that. Do That'd that. be okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. Right. Yeah. that's right. No so buses. That was, no, nothing. yeah. So that was really fantastic, and and then you know the first show day, their production says, "Hey, when do you guys want to come in?" I look at Peter. Of course, I defer to Peter. Like, well, what are we doing? Then he's like, "Well, how about one o'clock?" So I was like, "Oh, sure, one o'clock from the hotel. That sounds great." So we get to the venue, we go to catering. I go sit up front of the house. I do my little focuses. You know, she only has one rehearsal look, so we don't have to run any lights for rehearsal because it's all about the music. Yeah. And then we run a show, and then I load out front of the house, and we we're out of there with the band, you know, in the van. And I was told Peter's like, "Yes, this is really yeah, I could do this." Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. This is cool. And, and on top of that, of course, now all the lights live in the pre-rig truss, so they don't have to hang them every day. Because back in the days when I was touring, I had to update focuses for hours every day yeah. because the lights were all hung individually, you know, and they were never hung perfect. Yeah. And so when we got to the first city after rehearsals and I'd started doing focuses, I was like, this is fantastic. I mean, I, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So um, so you are at LD Systems, you leave there, and then what? So uh, this is I'm what? When, when did you leave? What year was it? 90s, right? Oh, yeah. That, I would be guessing a little bit, but it's back somewhere in uh, – I guess early nineties and yeah. I was going to leave a couple of times cause I was getting a little bit bored with lighting. And then the owner of LD Rob McKinley, he says, Hey, we're going to get these moving lights. Um, they're called IntelliBeams, and you know, you can be in charge of them. You can program them. You can do whatever you want. And I was like, Oh, well that sounds pretty good. Yeah. So I decided to stay on a little bit for that. And then I got a little bit bored again. I was ready to just move along. And then we got these lighting boards called CompuLight Animators from Israel. Yeah. And we started doing those. And that really opened up, basically opened up my career to all the people that I work for, you know, still to this day. Yeah. Was through the CompuLight Animator boards because the ice shows had them. Uh, you know, we were using them at the Houston Rodeo for LD Systems. We were selling them all over the, the world, South America. So right. I met a lot of people, and it was a great opportunity for me. Right. Um, well, but then okay. you you first lot of of uh, of moving light programmers, y you were like a really special breed. Like all of a sudden, that was like a really sought after thing, you know. And it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was there was a, there was really only a handful of you guys at the time, you know, sort of in the early days that weren't Verilite guys. They were they were just automated lighting programmers and most of you were working on the CompuLite console and then the hog, of course. Yep, yep. Went from that. Um before the CompuLite board we had the little high end controllers with the joystick. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the little touch panel twelve thing so we could yeah. get more, you know, whatever they were, more cues or focuses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what the heck it was, but I know we had to have them. Yeah. 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 I remember racks of those, uh, LCD controllers on shows. 
like a oh, rack yeah. of eight of those things. Cause I think each one was only eight or 12 lights, right? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And, and back in the day, you know, we had them, I think we could do up to 24 possibly with one controller was the oh. most, oh, okay. maybe it was 12, but it might've been 24. Right. And then we would have to slave another one to it. But we thought we were hot. You know, we thought we were cool. This is great. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, you know, we had a good time doing it. That's yeah. for sure. We yeah. had a really good time doing it. Yeah. So then, uh, so when, when you left LD Systems, eventually, that was to go on your own? That was. And, yeah. um, and really, one of the things that made it happen, I was working with Roy Bennett doing some ice shows down for the Feld people. And we would do two shows a year, and they would typically be about three or four weeks each time. So it was almost two months of work. Mm-hmm. And I just decided, I said, you know, I think I could probably go freelance. I could still do these shows on my own. And then after that, hopefully I could get some more work. Right. And the crazy part is I knew Jimmy Page was Synchrolite through yeah. my brothers and yeah. Clearlight. So I knew him forever and ever. And they had a big show in Atlanta. They wanted me to go do it at a mall, Linux Square Mall. It was a Christmas show. And I've never, you know, even, I don't think I've ever even seen a Synchrolite probably. And so I went out there and did the show and, he basically took me under his arm. Jimmy's like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to take care of you. I got a lot of shows for you. And Jimmy up my day rate, you know, way more than I was even making at the time. He just said, Oh no, this is what your day rate is. And then I said, well, do you pay per diem too? He goes, Oh yeah, yeah. We pay $50 a day per diem. I'm like $50 a day per diem. I said that, I mean, the highest anyone pays is $35 a day and they yeah. were paying 50 and Jimmy's tells me, he goes, well, you know, we want to get all the good people here. We want to keep the good people you know, so we take care of our people. I was like, well, man, yeah, my, this is great. I'm in. Yeah. So instantly, you know, I, I leave his office. I instantly call my wife. It's like, honey, I just got a big raise. <laughs> it's like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, you know, from that day on, when people started calling me, they're like, Hey, well, what's your rate? And this was, I don't know how many years ago. I mean, this was, I guess what, seven, 15 years ago or six, you know, I just tell people, Oh, well, this is what I get paid. And, you know, then they started paying it, and that, that's what really helped my career. Jimmy Page is what really excelled my career, believe it or not. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, first, moving lights. and then Yeah, first it was the moving yeah. lights, then it was the consoles. And, and I, did, you know, I, yeah. did, I did go through the whole Hog 2 thing. My first whole Hog 2 job was a Roy Bennett show in Vegas at the Hotel New York, New York. And it was when it was first being built. Okay. And we were out there about two months. And, uh, you know, it was trial by fire there on the consoles. Like, here we go, do or die. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and the crazy part about my kind of my career, whenever I switch consoles, you know, to learn a new console, which hadn't been very many, thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. But it was never a small show. I mean, yeah. it's never like a 24 light show. It's like, oh, this is a great show to learn a new board on. Yeah. You know, it was. 400 my lights. Like, yeah. Oh, great. Here we go. Yeah. Throw, throw in, thrown in the fire. Yeah. We want you to learn this new console. And by the way, here's Led Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah. yeah here you <laughs> the go. Beatles here reunion. Go. Here you go. Well, yeah. When we went to the Grand MA1, it was back Paul McCartney. We needed 60 universes. Oh, my goodness. And I was goodness. like, oh, 60 universes. Wow. Like, well, what, you know, what does that? And so it was a Grand MA1 at the time. And that's what we jumped to to do that show and you know it was stable it worked it was fine yeah and then from there i went from the t- to the two 
And then, uh, you know, we're just about to make our jump to the three here when it, you know, comes out and is a bit more stable and, or maybe not just stable, but all the other features are implemented. Yeah. Have, so. have you started learning all the new stuff on the three yet or? Uh, really? Not in the three software. I still use it in the two software, right. and I've been a little reluctant to actually even use it because of the button placements. You know, yeah. are are a little different. Yeah. But I did go do a show. Actually, the last show I went and did since before coronavirus was Usher in Berlin for my buddy Eric Wade. Yes. Yeah. And I went up there, and it was a private party, which is always you know nice, first class, you know operation yeah and i went up there and i look over and i see a a granime three light and i'm always a granime two full-size person like every time no matter what that's always what i get and so i look over and i have this panic like oh my gosh you know i got four hours to focus and get out of here we have a time frame and and luckily there was a guy there with the company from germany that knew it very well and i got around it quite quite fast i was very surprised and happy at the same time that okay this is possible this is you know this is totally doable yeah yeah and and it was a good experience and um i like the board um you know there's a few little things on there i wish they would have done differently but you know what's we've we've spoken with those folks about that and uh yeah we'll we'll see how it goes you mentioned the the show that you did it in uh vegas at new york new york i don't remember were you also one of the guys on efx uh no i didn't do efx but i did the treasure island show the pirate ship show right um, with Roy, and then we had to use all the eco domes out there because I remember that. Yeah. you know basically there were no waterproof lights, and there was no other way to waterproof a light but an eco dome. Right. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, cosmetically, it didn't really. They didn't look so great up on those poles, but they did the job, and the customer, you know, wanted moving lights, and of course, me and Roy wanted moving lights, and uh, we did that show, and that was quite an experience. Yeah. We had a uh, a daily room allowance where we could charge things to our room, and so we'd be out on the boardwalk. It'd be eleven thirty at night, and we'd look and say, "Hey, what'd you charge on your room today?" And they're like, "Oh, uh, nothing. I didn't even do anything." So we would order wine, we'd order cheese, and you know, just and they would bring it out from room service to the console. That's funny. Out on, right out on the strip, and we, we did that frequently, and it was it was That's quite awesome. quite fun. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, then, which was the company that you started first? Was it Chroma? It was Chroma Designs, yep. yeah. That's when I started just programming first. And uh, then we started the uh, little lighting rental company. And then I had a buddy, actually a sound guy friend, that told me we needed a Digico console and some RTS intercom. And I said, well, okay, that's not really any lighting stuff. I'm not... Yeah. And he wanted to be involved in this. So I said, well, great. So now we have to start another company. Yeah, it was and, funny because I looked at your website and, and it's all lighting gear, of course. But then there was like one a, a audio. Digico yeah, or, a Digico. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, what the hell is he doing and, here? You know, the funny part is it's like, do I even put that in our lighting company? Because it's totally, it's like a separate company, but it's a Digico that we have. And, yeah. And it's, it's not in our warehouse with our lighting gear, but... Uh, but we do own it. And so 
we had to start another little silly company just for some intercom and Digico. And, um, that we haven't really progressed much in that. You know, it's company. still just one console and, a, it's and still some just clear that. Com, right? And, and of course funny. it's paid for itself. And yeah, you know, I know nothing about it, but my friends use it for corporate shows. And, uh, so, yeah. so we're, we're happy about that. Yeah. Well, you're a businessman now, right? Yeah. That's so right. when you first started Chroma designs, was that, just so that you could become like an LLC and pay yourself like a, a business person as opposed to a, you know, self-employed, uh, it was, freelancer. it was. And for a little, you know, protection reasons and yeah. stuff as well. So, uh, yeah. And I think it's really helped me having a company, you know, instead of being self-employed, yeah. um, it, it just gives me a little more financial you know, freedom on things I can do on tax, you know, the tax end. Yeah. Have and, you, uh, have you managed to get any of the, uh, let's call it corporate welfare during the uh, whole coronavirus yeah, the, the thing? P- yeah, actually the PPP, um, I did, which was okay, nice. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, you know, it's Kept not a ton of money, away. but, but it's good for eight, you know, eight weeks. So yeah. matter of fact, this week is the last week. So, yeah, you know, here's the scary thing right now. And I hate to be a downer, but Uh I know a lot of people in our industry, manufacturers, distributors, lighting rental companies who this is their last week. And so what I'm wondering is what happens next week or the week after, like, is, are we going to see another round of massive layoffs in our industry? I hope not. But I hope not, but it could be totally possible. I, mean, I, I can't imagine it won't be. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even want to think like yeah, that, but I don't yeah. see how it can not happen. Well, I mean, I'm hearing more and more stuff about shows that are, you know, like I've, I've been hearing, and maybe you would know more, but I've been hearing um, uh, Live Nation is, is going to start putting shows in their amphitheaters this, like starting in July. Well, that's fantastic because I've heard multiple conflicting stories out there from everyone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a amphitheater that actually, I think Live Nation runs it in the Woodlands, yeah. Texas. And um, I heard that they're not going to do any shows until next year. But yeah. at the same time, when, when Live Nation and some of these other people started saying, no, no, we're done for the year, this is it, next year, I started personally thinking, well, wait, 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 shouldn't we really look at this month by month? Yeah, because, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, because it might open up in two months and everyone's all great and happy and here we yeah. go. Well, I also hate the fact, like it feels like such a cop-out or a quit because we're an industry of problem solvers. And, oh, totally. you know, we, we make shit happen. We make crazy impossible things very possible and so when you look at an amphitheater that fits 20,000 people, including the lawn, and you say, okay, we got to figure out a way to profitably put 7,000 or 6,000 people in there for a much smaller show than what, you know, it was going to mm-hmm. be this, now it's going to be that. Mm-hmm. And that'll work. You can make that work. And guess what? You're going to be able to sell the tickets because people are dying to go see stuff. Oh, so, I know. Totally. Totally. I mean, look at these crazy little drive-in tours that are selling out, you know, and I, I mean, I personally don't want to go to a drive-in to see a band, but these, these guys are right, selling these things out. But a lot, of people, out. Do. But a lot, a lot of, of people do. A lot of people do. Well, that just goes to show how, how, how much people really want to connect and get outside and hear some, 
live music of some sort, you know, and I mean, let them do it, you know, and in an amphitheater yeah. setting, I think it's quite safe. And you know how, like I went to a, um, uh, I can't remember which comedian it was, uh, the little short guy, Kevin, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. I went and saw a Kevin Hart show, uh, last year his latest tour or whatever and he was testing some new material for i think uh, a netflix special or something and so they were really crazy about cell phones like you couldn't even pull it out to text your son or something you know you can't have your cell phone in your hand period because right, yeah. they don't want anybody recording videoing etc right and if they catch you they take your phone away And so they had tons of these ushers walking up and down aisles with flashlights looking for people holding on to their cell phones. And I mean, it was crazy. Like you couldn't, like I said, you couldn't even pull it out and text your wife. I mean, forget it. You get caught. So how about having those same ushers with their flashlights looking for masks? And if you're not wearing one, you're thrown out. That's right. You don't have a mask on, you're thrown out. Sorry. (laughs) Also, the crazy thing to me, is I know the airline industry is a massive industry and they're way bigger than what we are. Yeah. But they were able to stay open yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And you could fly in an airplane. Yeah. And you could sit 22 inches next to, you know, yeah. maybe an empty seat. Yeah. And you wear your mask and you can be in the plane for four or five hours. And name and one that, place you've got sick more than an airplane. That's <laughs> I right. can't think and, of one. <laughs> and that was you know? okay to do. And yeah, see the crazy, crazy part. Of, but yet if they turn around to us and like, Oh no, no, y'all can't have those. Yeah. People there. No. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't want to, you know, I know these are very big public companies and stuff, but I, I don't agree with how everything was just broad stroke canceled. You know, we're not yeah, doing yeah. anything till next year. I don't agree with that at all because no, it was just either. reckless and, it, their monopoly started to really show and become a problem when they did that because, mm-hmm. you know, they own either the venues or the artists or the tours or something. They, they have such a grip on the industry that we're at their mercy right now. And yep. so I don't know, uh, you know, we can complain all day and it doesn't change what they're doing, but, um, well, well, you know, I think possibly the first person that comes out and says, Hey, we're going to have a real show and they're going to sell out. Yeah. They're going to be the first heroes and they're going to be the first people to make a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and, at, the, yeah. at the same time, you've got the flip side of that, which is somebody comes out and a bunch of people get sick and it gets highly That's publicized. Right. And I don't see that yeah. happening, but if it, but did, you're right, it could, <laughs> yeah, it could, we're screwed for another year if that happens, you know, but like this one show that I have a potential for next month, Yeah. you know, it's, it's a bunch of really big investors yeah. and they're not the regular people that we're used to working with, you know, yeah. as far as the live nation or AEG. Right. And if this thing happens and they pull it off, and it works. Yeah. You know, they're going to be, you know, talk about a lot like, wow, look how smart these people were. Yeah. Well, I, I keep waiting for someone to come up with a crowd funded platform for touring um, promotion, you know, for promoting mm-hmm. these shows. And I know that they've toyed with it before and people have tried and failed. But if there wasn't a more perfect time than today, for like Facebook or Google or Twitter or somebody no, to, right. to launch a crowdfunded live event platform, you know, I mean, to me that would take off right now, but you know, what do I know? I'm just some schmuck. 
guy doing no, the podcast, no, you're to- right? No, you're totally right, though. No, <laughs> yeah. Totally right. But, you know, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Michael Strickland, but he's come out and said a lot of really interesting things, too. Like, last week, his big pitch was that, um, you know, by the end of June, we're going to have a really strong set of data on, uh, you know, a lot of people mass gathering because of the the riots and the protesting and all of that stuff you know yes in, in some cases like in i think in dc last week there was like a hundred plus thousand people all together and you know they've had massive crowds so right if the end of june comes and those areas where all of the massive protesting like dc new york uh minneapolis chicago these these cities where yeah. there's seattle of course mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know if they don't get massive spikes in coronavirus then I would say, you know, we're clear to go. Like, let's start doing some oh, frigging shows, you know? Totally. But, yeah, so this whole protest thing might actually help our industry exactly, if, if exactly. we pass the test. Exactly. You know? I completely agree with that. And so, you know, go, going backwards a little bit again here. So, sure. you know, I know like one of the most memorable things I seem to remember you being involved in was, um, was actually New Year's. And like the New Year's, I think you did the Millennium New Year's, right? I did a bunch of Millennium New Year's, actually. But you did uh, the think, one, right? The I think, New York yeah, one. I did, yeah. I did four different cities that year, but I was actually in New York City with Roy. Yeah. But I designed two in Philadelphia. I designed one in Mexico City in Zocalo Square. And then I designed one in Rio de Janeiro, Sugarloaf Mountain. We had some Why? Likes. Like, yeah. why were you such the... New Year's it was, uh, well, the crazy part is, um, the New York city was a Roy Bennett show. The Mexico city and Rio de Janeiro were synchronized shows. So I was kind of, you know, in bed with both of those companies. Yeah. And then the Philly show was through a pyro company. Um, PPA is who they used to be. I don't know who they are now. And they got me involved from doing the power of Houston, big, you know, fireworks lighting show. That guy got me involved in the Philadelphia millennium show. And there's actually two different locations in Philly. So I previs those on uh, WYSIWYG, I guess at the time. And then I went to Mexico city from Mexico. We flew to Rio de Janeiro from Rio. We flew to New York city and that was all with Jimmy page. That's wild. Synchrolite buddy. And, and uh, were you not like mega stressed out that, you know, shit was going to explode? Like everything was not going to uh, work? No, and- just because I had people there that I knew, you know, in, the, in each location, I knew the right people were there. And, you know, in my, the way I see it, all this stuff is electronic. It's all computer. It's all going to break someday. But don't and, don't you remember we had that whole like you know the sky is falling oh yeah the, the world Y2K is gonna thing. fall oh, yeah, yeah the yeah. Y2K totally. thing that's what I'm talking about oh yeah to- totally and yeah no I remember that but no I wasn't too afraid of it yeah neither was yeah. I to be honest but it was no. amazing how big a deal that was like everybody yeah. was like it's we're so fucked <laughs> you know, know nothing's gonna <laughs> no, work no. everything's gonna stop and you're so no. screwed I just remember waking up in the morning the next morning and looking at the clock and going yeah it's the right time still everything seems okay we're still alive yeah we seem to survive i do remember a funny story over the from mexico city to zocalo square 
Um, you know, the synchro lights, I forget how many synchro lights we had there, 36 or 48. And they were all over the square and on rooftops of this. And Jimmy was waiting for his deposit money for the show. And, you know, Jimmy's smart enough. He's been around the block way too many times to know that you can get screwed if you don't take care of your business. And so I remember it was either the morning before the show or maybe two mornings before the show. He got on the radio and he told the boys, he said, take all the electronic cards out of all the lights and bring them to my hotel room. And yeah. I was like, what? I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm getting all the cards out so the lights can't turn on. Oh, my God. And I said, well, Jimmy, you're like, we're in Mexico City. And he goes, no, I know the police chief. He's my buddy. The police chief's my buddy. <laughs> so, oh, my God. I said, okay, well, that's good. And so uh, we go down to breakfast, and we're in this big fancy hotel. We're having this beautiful breakfast. And the promoter lady comes in from Osasa, and he just looks at her and he goes, I need my money. I need it now, and it needs to be cash. <laughs> he goes, are those lights are those lights aren't turned on? And the look on her face was just like, oh, no. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, they're going to come take us to jail now. Oh, boy. You know? Yeah. But, um, or worse. Or worse. Yeah. But Jimmy Page, I mean, boy, he, you know, he had the stories. And, I, I mean, I could spend an hour doing all the Jimmy Page stories that he told me. I'm sure. And the funny part is, is half of them sometimes is like, oh, that can't be true. But then we'd be somewhere a, a year later and someone would bring up the same story and it'd be the same story. And you're like, shit, that was and true? Was like, Damn, man. <laughs> so, so basically I started believing all of them. Yeah, that's a legend. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's wild. Well, I mean, you know, it's sad that we're in this new era now where, you know, it's all very corporate and it's all very, you know, it's just a different business. I'm not saying it's a bad business. It's a great business. There are no, some, no, you're right. there's some incredibly talented young guys in this business now, but I love talking to people who started in the 70s and had to build a lighting rig out of, you know, whatever was laying around, yeah, you know. Toothpicks. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, or, you're right. Or they built their own speaker boxes, you know, and next thing you know, they're Claire Brothers or they're whoever, Turbo Sound or whoever. All of these companies started out by, hey, you know, we got this band. We need some speakers. Let's build some. And next thing you know, they're massive sound companies. So no, that's right. I love all those stories from, you know, and I mean, I think in some sense, as much as I'd rather be young than old, I'm really happy that I was around for the advent of, of moving lights, you know, that mm -hmm. I, I actually worked for one of the companies that sold the very earliest moving lights that were out and, right, and right. Uh, was a part of that whole scene and, and, uh, you know, it, very cool, as opposed to now when, you know, every Chinese manufacturer there is makes some version oh, of a movie. Oh and and oh. telling them all apart is a little difficult. But so, yep. you know, other I, so that's obviously a memorable show working Times Square for, mm -hmm. you know, arguably the biggest. Uh, well, not arguably, definitely the biggest New Year's Eve celebration of our time. Yeah, I told Roy Bennett before New Year's Eve, we were doing some show together. And I said, hey, Roy, if we do a New Year's Eve show, I said, let's either do like Australia, the first clock, you know, that strikes New Year's or Times Square. Yeah. I said, because those those would be really cool places. Or I said, or may I think I even mentioned Paris, maybe Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And sure enough, he called me and goes, hey, we're doing Times Square. That's and wild. we actually did it the year before kind of as a test. And then we did a millennium. 
and then I think we might have did it. We are we did it one more year after that, and then they called me and wanted me to do it just on my own without Roy. And I was like, oh wait, wait, wait! Now this is changing the whole game. Yeah. But they didn't have the budgets. You know, they didn't. They weren't going to pay that kind of money. And basically, I called Roy and I told him, it's like, hey, they call me. They want me to do this. And, of course, Roy's a kind enough person, and he knew the real story. He's like, absolutely, you go do this. This is awesome. Yeah. And so I did it for another couple of years, and then they started doing it local. You know, their budgets just changed like yeah. so many jobs yeah. do. Yeah. Who are you working for when you do uh, the Times Square New Year's thing? Um, well, the first few years, it was through Synchrolite. And then I started getting paid through the, um, I think it was the Times Square Management oh, okay. Division or District yeah. or something, whoever puts on that big show. Right. So they've actually got a corporation that just does the show. They do, yes. Right. Ah, interesting. So what are what are some other memorable, like if, if you were, you know, going to sit down and list your top five or whatever, what are some oh, other Oh, I think um, definitely Paul McCartney at the Coliseum in Rome. Oh, wow. We did one show inside for about 300 people, and it was like for the, the president and all the big CEOs of the you know cell phone companies and stuff, a very private event. Yeah. But the cool part about that show is that you know, we got to walk anywhere in the Coliseum. You, know, you could walk through places where people never get to walk because That's they had wild. lights. You know, down in the catacombs, there was lights shooting up through smoke, and we had hazers down there. And on the walls, we had lights. And then the night after that, we had a free show for the public outside the Coliseum. And it was the most people I've ever seen in my life. As far as you can see, every street, there was PA towers and video screens. And my job was to light the Coliseum and I was sitting there almost, you know, pinching myself, like, is no this kidding. really happening? Yeah. Like, I'm lighting the Coliseum in Rome. How many people get to light the Coliseum in Rome? Yeah, that is crazy. I can't and imagine then, the pictures that you got from that oh, show. It was so cool. And then I was there by myself, you know, programming. Uh, Wally was out with some friends, and we had a super good time on that show. But we actually, when we were programming that show, we had a bit too much wine during I can't those imagine. Not days. In Italy. No, and and there's a place uh, actually, well, I don't know if I should talk about eating meat on a Paul McCartney tour, but they did have the Royal Meat House right across the street from the Coliseum. Okay. And we looked over there and we're like, huh, the Royal Meat House. So me and Wally went over there. I can't tell you that we ate any meat or not because, you know, it's a vegetarian tour and we're not supposed to eat any meat. So, of course, we didn't eat any meat, but we sure had some great wine. <laughs> but but we had three bottles of wine before so, we were done with dinner, and then I had to go program all night long. So on Paul McCartney, the, the crew weren't allowed to eat meat either? No, you really couldn't eat meat, even if you were traveling, flying for them. And... You know, the people that did eat meat, you wouldn't want to bring your Burger King bag back to the venue and have it sitting there or anything like that. Yeah, yeah it was, it was, and you know, the funny part is, is I think everyone was okay with it, but really, you know, Paul wasn't, you know, they don't, they just do not like the animal killing of anything. Zero tolerance kind of policy. Yeah. And, and I mean, I love animals too, but I like steak. <laughs> yeah, you're from Texas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah from Texas. don't take away my steak. Uh, steak and potatoes, baby. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. 
That's yeah. really cool. I, I mean, I, again, I can't even imagine the pictures you get. Wouldn't you love to go back and do that show today with some of today's technology? Like I think of the oh. Coliseum with, uh, you know, pixel mapping where the, the Coliseum's falling down, you know, crumbling and oh, it'd be awesome. you know, some of the crazy awesome. pixel mapping stuff that you can do now. Uh, and then on the on the same little tour we did, we went and did Red Square in Russia, oh and it was the God. first time the first time any Beatles have ever played in Russia because they were banned. And so we were doing the show, and Putin comes in. He was about three songs late getting in, but he comes and sits right on the front row. And you know, Paul made some comment like, "Hey, I'm glad to see you could join us." Mm. And then then he played back in the USSR, and then when he got done. He said, I'm going to play it twice because I can. And he <laughs> played it twice. That's hilarious. And it was like, that, that is so great. And then on that what, show. So what year was that, that you were in Moscow? Oh, if I had to take a wild guess, I would say about seven years ago. I, I would oh, have to look okay, it recently, up. recently. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Yeah. We found one of the best restaurants in the world in Moscow, but that's a whole other story. Which one? Praha. Pushkin. 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 I've been to Pushkin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pushkin. It was so great. We, we went there three nights in a row and we were there at least four to six hours every time we went. Yeah. Yeah. I we just pretty much camp camp there. Well, I asked, I, so I was there with, uh, with, um, the guys from PRG and with, uh, Steve Cohen and the Eagles. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. so they were starting their world tour there. This was in like probably 2000, maybe right. 2001, 99, around that period of time. And mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, first going to Russia just felt weird, you know, because it was like the whole Cold War was fresh in my memory and all that stuff. Yeah, so, just getting in the airport, just yeah, getting off the plane. Landing in weird. Moscow, just landing. It was like, yeah, oh, this yeah. feels bizarre. Like I'm not supposed to be here. But we went to, um, I don't remember who it was, like one of the local guys and just asked him, hey, where's the best caviar? Because Cohen wanted the best caviar in, in all of, of Moscow. Yeah. And they said, oh, you have to go Pushkin. So um, yeah. they told me who to call at Pushkin. So I called and the guy spoke, you know, really sketchy English, but he he said, you know, uh, can I help you? And I said, yeah, we want to come in tonight about... 12 of us, and he goes, oh, yeah, tonight we close early, 7 o'clock or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, we need to come in at, like, 10 or 9 o'clock or whatever. I don't remember what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. And he goes, no, 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 we're closed. And I said, oh, that's too bad. And he said, well, who, who are you? Who are you with? And yeah. I said, the Eagles. And he goes, oh, the Eagles? And oh. I go, no, 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 I'm not the Eagles, but we're here with the Eagles. Oh, yes, the Eagles, yes, the Eagles. So... Mm-hmm. We get there and they're just treating us like royalty. We're the only table in the place, right? Wow. And there's probably 16 of us or something. And I mean, we spent some money for sure. I can't remember how much it cost, but it cost. And and so they're just treating us like royalty. And finally, someone comes up to me, you know, near the end of the night. And he goes, sir, excuse me. I'm very, very sorry, but could I please have an autograph? (laughs) and i mean instead of instead of trying to explain it away i just signed like joe walsh or something you know i was one of them i can't remember which one but i I didn't want to disappoint them at that point you know but i went steve what do i do they think that we're the eagles i know it we don't want to tell them now yeah we're done the dinner we're just 
having vodka and waiting for the check, you know, and uh, yeah, we're not going to tell him now. Well, prison, prison's, you know, a joy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to go anywhere other than prison. But yeah, well, that I place went, was cool. That, yeah, one of the three cool nights we went, one of the three nights we went there was uh, Wally's birthday one day and Roy's birthday the next day. So oh, Wally cool. leaves and Roy. And of course, we're there during midnight and it's her birthday. So I have to buy their meal. Oh, boy. And, you know, it was a massive check. So I get back to my hotel room and I have to call my wife and tell her, like, honey, you know, I got to just let you know what happened. And I think she actually probably started crying or something. But Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I promise, honey, it wasn't a strip club. You know, I yeah, know yeah, it was $4,000, but it yeah, wasn't but a, a strip club. It's a real restaurant. It's a real restaurant. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Well, the other one that we did was called Praha. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you went to that place, but... No, we didn't go to that one. That no. place is insane. So it's owned by some famous, I think, mobster guy or something in, in Moscow. Yep. And you go through uh, metal detectors and stuff. And then you walk into this room that's like, I don't know, the room's probably 2,000 square feet. And it's got one table for 12 people or 16 people, however many we were. And mm-hmm. then there's an orchestra playing... And there's these paintings on the wall that were all like original, very, very pricey paintings. And I mean, this room had to be a $2 million room or something, right? Sounds fantastic. So then, you know, there's a bowl of red and black caviar in front of every seating and there's, you know, champagne. And uh, I mean, we were just like, you know, and at the time, uh, Bruno Didoro, the president of Comar, was paying and and it was a friend of his the owner of the place was a friend of his. yeah i was so, gonna ask who was paying <laughs> well i think he paid i never saw a bill and right, uh, wow. but we were guessing that it was probably like i think i was sitting with brocon we're like what do you think this meal's costing and i'm like it's gotta be fifteen hundred dollars a person and he goes no more it's gotta be more you know, and every time they brought something out, like they'd bring mushrooms out and they'd go, the the lights would go dim and the orchestra would play and then somebody would come out and make an announcement, blah, 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 the mushrooms, you know, and you're like, whoa. And then wow. there's fanfare and the orchestra yeah. kicks up and they bring out these mushrooms, right? You know, but so it, was cool. just, it was crazy. So, so cool. then end of the night, we, we end up getting invited to the owner's office, which is probably 1200 square feet. I mean, it's a massive room, just unbelievable. Him and every famous Russian person, presidents, uh, you know, um, what was the dancer's name? Barishnikov, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, every famous Russian person you could think of with him in a picture. And he gave us these amazing Cuban cigars and some cognac that was probably like $300 an ounce or something. And my wife goes, Hey, what's, what's with the red phone on the desk? And he goes, Oh, this is the Kremlin. And she's like, she's like, no way. And he goes, try it, try it. And so she picks up the phone and it's like, Kremlin. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, wrong number. And she well, hangs sorry, up. <laughs> but anyways, sorry. Sorry, no, but that, that was a fun story. It was a crazy week. No, that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, okay, way back to uh, other great, great yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Power of Houston, the thing we did in Houston where we helicoptered all the lights up to the rooftop, pyro to the rooftops, and it was a 360-degree pyro lighting show with the city of Houston downtown, the buildings were the, the backdrop. Wow. When and was that? It, oh, we did it three years in a row. Um, that was way back. I'd say that was, um, you know, 20, 20 years ago. No, no, shoot, more than that. 
that that's uh, I would ha- unfortunately I'm bad with those dates, but All right. but the, long time but the ago. crazy yeah long time ago the crazy part though is we added lasers one year, and so the lasers they took the windows out of the buildings all on the same floor. And then they had to run uh, plumbing in there because that's back when all the lasers were water-cooled. They ran plumbing and power and all this. I mean, we basically came into the city and destroyed all these buildings for two weeks. Wow. And um, But it was the biggest scale show I've ever done in my life. And what was the, what was the purpose? Um, the power company in Houston, they were about to go to where you could pick your own power pr- provider. Right. So they were trying to basically advertise, like, hey, we're your people. And the power company sponsored it. And LD Systems, you know, was the main provider, the really the only provider. They subbed out some stuff. But Rob McKinley was the mastermind behind this whole thing. And he had the helicopter drops down at the end of the day. It was within two or three minutes of the time schedule that he had written down. Huh. And it was a massive undertaking because they had to, you know, block off all the city streets for the helicopter lift zones. Um, For the show itself, the pyro, there was all these fallout zones for the shells to drop down. So the streets had to be cleared. But it was absolutely amazing. It was much bigger scale than like a Times Square as far as the you know, how That's many crazy. lights. And, and you pyro. did that three years in a row. We did three years in a row. And we had a, a couple small little, you know, or at least one little pyro accident. No one got hurt by any means and nothing really got burned up, but a shell went off the side of the building and exploded down on the street level, which is never good. Yeah. Um, but I kept having these nightmares and, uh, maybe I shouldn't even say it cause no city will ever do it the rest of their lives. But you know, if one of those shells blew up halfway going down between those glass buildings, yeah. you know, and it broke the windows out and then all of a sudden there's 20 floors on fire on two or three different buildings from one shell. And it's like, Oh wait, yeah. that would not that be good. very yeah. easy. That would not be easy to deal with. That. No, no, that, you can't explain that one away. <laughs> no, but I tell you what, it was a fantastic show. It That's was so, cool. so huge. You know which one's uh, amazing, and I don't know if you've ever been involved in this one, but the Dubai one. Oh, yeah, no, I've never been involved, but I've seen it, and it is awesome. It is um, so crazy. Syncrolite actually did a huge show over there for the opening of one of the big hotels, and it, I was not a part of that one, but... It was amazing because those people, they know how to do it upright over there. Mm. Yeah, well, they're not short on uh, cash. No, no budgets. Yeah, they do, they do pretty well with that stuff. So yeah. I, got a, I got a few questions. Okay. And then I'll let you go finally because I know no you, you had your no haircut worries. this morning and you probably got a big date this afternoon or yeah, something. Yeah, I'm uh, contemplating to... going up to the mountains. But oh, we'll see. good times. How long are you yeah. staying in Denver? Um, kind of open-ended, uh, probably another week or so. Uh, Until she you know, throws you out of her house? Pretty much, yeah. pretty much. But. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever given or received? Hmm, best piece of advice. Well, there's probably more than one, but... I think the number one thing that I tell most young people that are getting into this business, yeah, the easiest thing, and this happens so many times, 
is just show up to work on time every day. It's the easiest part of your job because, believe it or not, there's people out there that just can't show up to work. I know it's not a ton of them, but there's they're out there. Yeah. And um, as a programmer. That's great a, advice. <laughs> and as being a programmer, um, if you're really just the programmer and you're working for a designer, it's really easy to try and start telling the pro, the designer what you think would be good. You know, like, oh, how about if we do this? And you really have to feel it out because sometimes they don't want to hear it. They are the people in charge. They don't want your input. Um, you know, so you really have to feel it out and know who you're working for. And luckily, if you work for someone for many, many years, like I've worked for Peter and Roy Bennett, um, I, they let me go on my own a lot because yeah. I know what they want. You know, we don't have to bog down and discuss it for, you know, two hours. We just get rolling and then, you know, I get going. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not the first person who's told me that, especially with Peter. You know, it's um, the guy's a major designer. He's done some very big things in his life and he knows what he wants. Mm -hmm. And but when he gets to a point where he trusts you that much, um, you know, it's more about, you know, giving you sort of a range that he wants you to be within and then allowing you to use your own creativity to, to build what you think fits. It's in. true. And, yeah. and I actually, I, I enjoy it more like that because, you know, when we sit down and say, okay, this song's going to be blues and pinks and whatever. And then it's like, Oh, perfect. And then it gives us, you know, I know what they want as far as the colors. Yeah. And then from there we get to start going and there's times where, you know, Roy would be busy working on something else and we would get, you know, almost the whole song done and say, Hey, okay, here, let's look at it. And, you know, he'd say, okay, change this and that. And then we'd be on to the next song, which which was nice. Really nice to do. And then you have other people that I work with that, you know, they want to tell you every cue, every detail. And it's like, Hey, that's fine. Because at least when we're done with the song, I know they like it because they built it. Yeah. Do you, do you remember ever in your early days receiving a big piece of advice that kind of carried you through your career? Um, no, I, you know what? Probably not one piece. Uh, I always say treat people how you want to be treated back. Yeah. Because in the early days of this industry, there were people and production managers that were just jerks. I mean, absolute jerks. And, those people got weeded out really fast. Right. Yeah. No, that and makes a I, lot of sense. And I tell people all the time, and this is so true, you can have the worst gear and the best people, and you're going to get the job next time. But you can have the best gear and the worst people, and you're not going to be called back. It's really all about the people. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like anything, you know, like if you go to a restaurant and the food is average, but the service is incredible. Yeah, you're gonna want to go back. Yeah, you're gonna want to go back. They treated you good. They treated exactly. you good. Exactly. No, that's that's very good advice. Very good advice. So you already mentioned it, I think. But what was your biggest career pinch me moment? Um, I well. I don't know if it was a pinch me moment, but I know it was when I started with the CompuLite animator boards and the ice shows started using them and Roy Bennett was doing the ice shows. And then 
Reba McIntyre um, started using them, so I started working with Peter Morris during that time. And I really think it's about being in the right place at the right time, and it's not who you are, it's who you know. Yeah. I mean, really, you got to know the people. And I have so many people that say, hey, can you teach me to be a programmer because I want to do all those big jobs. And it's like, That's the easy part. <laughs> I can teach anyone to be a programmer. That's not yeah. a problem. Yeah. But you just really have to know the connections, and that's the hardest part. And when people yeah. say, well, how do you get those connections? You know, how do you know that? You earn well, them. <laughs> for, yeah, for me, they kind of fell into place, luckily. You know, because I was just happened to be working with the right companies and we were with the right people. But, you know, I don't know. That's really the hardest part. But I think if you work hard and you don't be, you know, pompous asshole along the way. Yeah. And, and you just show people that you really care and you want to do a good job. I think you're going to yeah, get hired. Yeah, I agree with you. Is there a piece of gear that hasn't been created yet, but you would like to be created? Well, I've said this in other interviews and magazine articles and stuff, and people probably laugh every time I say this. And we might not see it in our lifetime. We might might not see it ever. But when can we bend light? When can you say, hey, I want this to go out 10 feet, and then I want it to go take a left, and then I want it to, you know, where you can manipulate the light source out in space, which I know is way over my head. Yeah. And people are like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever you think. But you know what? They've done uh, more amazing things than that probably in our lifetime. And, yeah. Uh, oh, I, so I would think that if, you know, one of the things about our industry where some really high tech, high, big advancements and stuff don't get made is mm -hmm. because it's such a small market. You know, yes, so like, for example, Elon Musk has been able to do some incredible things with uh, SpaceX, but mm -hmm. it started out with multi-billion dollar contracts from NASA and from the yes. government and stuff. That's right. True. So, true. you know, if, if somebody had a billion dollar contract and they had to go sit out for a couple of years and figure out how to bend light, I think mm -hmm. they'd probably figure it out. Yeah. Even <laughs> yeah. if they had to make a little controlled environment somehow, you know, around, around the band or around the right. stage, you know, but, but I'd love know, to see what, what you do with bent light. <laughs> well, I think you could paint, you know, you could just paint so many abstract things because right now what we're doing with light is it comes out in a straight line and that's all we got. We yeah. can't curve it. We can't bend it. It's straight. No matter what we do with it, it's going to be straight. That's very and true. We, and we can twinkle it. We can color it. We can strobe it, but we can't make it change shapes. We need another dimension. That would be un unbelievable. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Who was, yeah. who was or is the greatest influence to you in your career? Um, I think, oh boy, the greatest influence. I don't know. I probably had a couple. I mean, I know when I started working with Roy Bennett, I learned about creativity, basically. I mean, you know, I would be trying to program something and create something, and I would get stuck like a brick wall, and I'd say, hey, what do you think I should do here? And instantly, he would have a solution, 
and I'd be like, oh my gosh. I mean, of course. I mean, that's yeah. like black. That's, that's right in my face. I should have thought about that. Roy's a creative genius. He is unbelievably creative. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, Peter Morris, when I've worked with him, we've made some beautiful stuff together. He is really great. He has a great eye. Um, they're both very calm, um, which I like working with very calm people. Yeah. You know, cause I like to go to work every day and I like to have fun when I go to work right. and I want to laugh. I want to joke no matter how much pressure is on you and no matter what's going on, I want to be able to joke and laugh and have fun. Right. Yeah. It ain't because worth if it. not, because yeah. if not. You know, I mean, in the typical situation is, you know, a live event where you're about to go live satellite, you know, 10 million people or whatever it is, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. You know, and typically some people, you know, the pressure builds and you start, you know, sweating your palms. But me and my buddies, we got on our phone and we make a joke to each other. I mean, we make each other laugh at that moment. Yeah. And then that way it's just like, okay, hey, look, this is easy. We do this all the time. This is what we do for work. Yeah. yeah. And this is how we roll. Yeah. No, they're both amazing influences. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, and, uh, and, I'm very close with Peter. I like Peter a lot. And, yeah. And Steve Cohen, um, I mean, he was great to work with. Uh, I tell you, one of the people that I soaked up the most information from, though, was, uh, Bob Dickinson. I did the Elton John show we did together in Madison Square Gardens and we went to dinner and stuff and you know since he's one of the biggest TV lighting guys ever out there. Yeah. I just started asking him a million questions at dinner and was like soaking it up like a sponge like hey, here's my opportunity. And he was very nice and he gave me all kinds of great information and mainly it was all key light, you know, levels and color temperatures and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. But he's the no. wizard. He's the master. He was a wizard with that. And but that was the first show I went into and I looked at the stage and it was not symmetrical at all. And I looked, I was like, whoa, wait, what's what's the deal? And you know, everyone's like, Hey, look at the camera, look down the glass, don't look at the stage, look at your monitor, because that's all we care about. We don't care what these people in this room see. We don't care about anything but that. When and you say so, it's not symmetrical, it's because all the because the piano was on one side or something. Well, yeah, and and when they they told me they said, "Hey, when you watch Elton Elton John on TV, what do you see?" Yeah, and I said, "Well, you see Elton John playing the piano," and they said, "Exactly." And when the cameras are on Elton John, all those lights over there are on stage right, that's behind him, and that's what we see on TV. And I was like, "Oh, okay." And I said, yeah, but it looks so weird in this room. And they're like, it's not about these people in this room. Yeah. Not not about any of these people in this yeah, room. There's, there's 15,000 in the room, but 5 yeah. million on TV. Or yeah, yeah, and they're like, it's about what you're looking at that camera. And they just told me, they said, don't even look up there at the straight. Just look yeah. down there at your monitor. Yeah. And from that day on, I learned like, okay, TV is this. But then you do have some people that want it to look good for the room and on TV. Yeah. And and that can be a challenge every now and then. Right. But, you, but it's totally possible. Well, and this isn't really one of my questions, but it's something that I, I'm always curious about. So do you ever think about the little four and a half inch TV that, you know, 10 million people are going to be watching this show on tomorrow on YouTube? Uh, I do. I do. I think about that stuff all the time. And when I do corporate shows, 
you know, I don't really worry about the corporate shows because they just happen one day and they're done. We're not going to do a tour, but they are, they video archive it. And some of these companies go back and they watch these things a hundred times and they critique it and they look at it and they're like, Oh my gosh, look at, look at how I look and look at this and look, you know, and no, no hammer you. I yeah. mean, believe it or not, these corporate companies, they'll go back and hammer these things Yeah. and knock on wood, knock on wood. You know, I don't get any phone calls back, but <laughs> well, but I mean like your average pop show might be 15,000 people in the venue tonight, but mm-hmm. by tomorrow morning, you know, a thousand oh, yeah. kids or 2000 kids are going to upload videos to YouTube. And so those are going to get millions and millions and millions of views. And so I've actually had some designers on here tell me that, you know, they've, they don't use, use meters as much anymore. Now, instead they're actually pulling out their phone and seeing what it looks like on their phone. Yep. Yep. That happens. That's definitely, um, we always think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, do you get involved? Like one of the things I love about this industry, we're a very charitable, very giving, very mentoring kind of industry. So do you get involved at all in either uh, some sort of charity in our industry or around our industry or in mentoring, coaching, training young up and coming designers or programmers? Um, Do you get involved in giving back at all? Um, I do. And a lot of that giving back I do around our little community and such. And as far as training, I tell people all the time, the, you know, people that are our customers or people that are my friends is our phones. It's available 24 seven. You know, we're not a company that you can't call and ask questions and we love helping things. And we do, we do things. I've uh, done a few things for some universities around Texas and some training. We've done some Grand May training. But, but unfortunately, with our schedule as it is, being gone eight or nine months out of the year, typically, um, unlike today, um, you know, we don't get involved. We can't plan too many things out as far as events. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to keep it kind of wide open and loose. Uh, but we do uh, reach out and, you know, f- most of our help is in training and helping other people. Right. Right. Well, that's that's amazing. And, you know, I mean, again, I it's one of the things I love about our industry because I, you know, I don't know a single designer out there that's not going to let some young up and coming designer, uh, you know, sit in front of house and, and watch him run the show one night or whatever. Oh, yeah. I love, I love that. I love it. especially young people that are just getting into it. I love for them to be up there. Yeah. Questions. Yeah. And I can't remember who the hell it was, but there's one designer that I talked with who said that uh, there was one song every night where they let the guest designer, whoever that was, run the show for Could that one that song. be Matt Mills? No. Was it okay? Because someone I spoke to, they have one song where they'll pick someone out of the audience to come and like hit hit the button uh, or something. Like Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah, I forget who it was, and they yeah. said, "Yeah, they just looked around, and they picked someone, say, hey, come up here,' and no, then they let him hit the button for something. this. Is this could be like your banker 
is out at the show that night and you got him right. sitting up at front of house and you go, yeah. okay, guess what? During this song, you're running the lights. Yeah. You hit this button when I tell you. Yeah. Yep. And I, I can't remember which band it was and which designer it was, but it was a very well-known song and it was probably some classic rock band or something. But uh, I love that. I mean, like to me, you just made somebody's life. Like they're going to remember that forever. Yeah. I've let my kids do that uh, on shows before, like run the mole lights or something. That's cool. I tell them, like, okay, on every time they say this, you just hit that button. Yeah. And, and, you know, they just love that because, you know, makes them feel like part of the show. And speaking of kids, I do have a son who's 22, Caleb, and he is a programmer these days and doing quite well at it. And he has been working through most of the coronavirus stuff um, at a church in, in the Woodlands, Texas. That's awesome. That so is really the, cool. The crazy part is we get uh, checks in the mailbox at home and they're always his. It's like, well, where, do, where am I? <laughs> well, you taught him well. <laughs> I did. And we had a console set up in our house for quite some time. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so we go in there and we play around with it when we get bored. Well, you so. need to have, uh, you know, you need to have some sort of a tithing rule in your house or something where, you know, anyone living in your house who's earning has to pay 15% of those earnings back to the house or something. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. well, my, my buddy Eric Wade does that, I think, for his kids. That's you know, good. They, he employs them, but uh, I think he gets, you know, some of their money. I need to put that plan in the place of my house. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, <laughs> yeah. although you only have one kid left, so it wouldn't be that profitable. No, and he invests and he saves it. He doesn't blow it. So as long as he's not blowing it, yeah, yeah. he can, he can have awesome. it all. That's awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Troy, for doing this. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, no worries. And, no worries. Uh, it was great. You know, I know it's you're fantastic. out there with your, with your daughter and stuff, so I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, and yeah, I'll I'll shoot you off a link uh, once it gets uploaded later today. Yeah, no worries. That's great. Well, thanks so much. Thank you, Troy. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Sweet, sweet child 